0: Many of you know that this evening is a kind of a big game, right? The Super Bowl. And I know in this room there's like two Patriot fans. Let's hear it, Patriot fans. Let's uh, see. There was four. We got four. All right. Anybody pulling for the Rams tonight? <laughs> so that means the Patriots are going to win. There we go. Why do people get on to me about the Cowboys? We're coming back in 25 years, guys. So just hold on. So we have these two teams that are playing tonight. Now, if you know much about football, you know that Tom Brady, who's the quarterback of the New England Patriots, he's known to be the GOAT, all right? Now, that's not a derogatory term if you're not used to that. The GOAT means the greatest of all time, and we can argue that a little bit, but for the most part, if you think about it, yeah, that might be true for this guy. So here's what I'm going to tell you right now, because you're going to go to somebody's house, or you're going to watch a game, or you're going to be like me, you're going to sit around your own house, you're going to watch the game, and, and as you're watching the game, well, let me just say this, don't even watch the game. And I'm being honest, but here's the reason why. It's not because of commercials. Um, The reason that you shouldn't watch the game is it's already been prophesied in Scripture that the Patriots are going to win tonight. (laughs) Look, you guys are laughing. I'm getting ready to prove it, okay? Daniel, (laughs) 8-7. I haven't read anything yet. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. <laughs> Daniel is a book of prophecy. I'm just throwing that out there. The only thing I added were the capital letters for ram and goat. Anyway, I'm going to pray because Jesus might come back, and I might be in trouble. <laughs> Hey God, thank you for the day. I thank you for this church. I pray that you would continue to move in this place and do amazing things as you have been doing, and I know you will continue to do. I pray as we are together right now in this moment that your spirit would be here, that it would move in our lives, and it would change us. God, lead us forward. Guide us and direct us. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we think about athletes for a moment, and... Uh, their lives are, <laughs> are pretty amazing, and it's not because of what they do now. It's it's how they got to where they are, right? To become a professional athlete, and I don't care what sport it is and what kind of sport it is. I mean, you usually have a beginning point. There, there's just you playing in the backyard. And then you maybe do some little league activities or or some some kind of club activities. And then maybe middle school sports and then high school sports. And of course today, travel sports, you have to do that. And then maybe you go to college and you play and you're there and you're good enough that you can go and you can continue to do whatever sport it may be in the pros. But, But to get to that place, I mean, there's this big, long journey that has to happen to get us from playing in our backyard to being a professional athlete. Here's the deal professional athletes, not really that important in any sport. Because the most important journey that you and I find is the journey that we're on every single day. It is our life journey. We are in this series called "The Journey," and that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about our journeys. We've been talking about my journey and your journey, and this church church's journey together, because that's what life is all about. It's about these journeys. Now, if you haven't been here, let me give you a little bit of background. We said that, you know, this is a time of year where we talk about goals and resolutions. And most of you, you've already forgotten about those resolutions, right? You're like, I'm done. It's February. Um, And so we get to this place, but we we say, this is where I want to be. This is the destination I'm trying to get to. But as I said, the very first week, it's not really about the destination. The reality is, it's about the journey, Because on the journey, that's where we learn. On the journey is where growth takes place. On the journey is where change happens. On the journey is where transformation takes place within your life and in my life. And so it really isn't about getting to a place. It's about the journey that we are on to get there. And so over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the different journey that we are on. Each one of us as individuals, as couples, as families, and together as a church. Now we've been going through a story out of the Old Testament About uh, In Joshua, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We'll get there in a second. But in Joshua, we have the story of Joshua, the Israelites, and they're heading into this place called the Promised Land. The very first week, we we said that they are sitting on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. They're looking over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they're probably thinking, that's where I'm trying to get to. We're here. We've made it. God's just going to give it to us. And God's like, that's not the way this is going to work. God says the journey's not over with yet. He says, be strong and courageous. And not only that, he says, I need you to focus on me. I need you to follow me. And here's what will happen. If you do that, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And man, I'll take you into the promised land. And so we talked about in week one. Week two, we looked at Rahab and these two spies who came in from Israel to check Jericho out. And we talked about what was happening there. We asked this question on our journeys of life. Do we, leave, li- do we live this journey? Do we take this journey based on fear or do we take it based on faith? And then last week we talked about faith. And we said, this is what faith looks like. And we talked about how the Israelites are on that eastern shore of the Jordan. They're going to cross over into the Promised Land. But the Jordan River is in front of them. It's at flood stage. It's probably about a half a mile wide. It's flowing quickly. And God says, get your feet wet. Step into that river. And as soon as they did, the river stopped flowing. And because of their faith, they were able to walk through on dry land. Today, we're going to find where that faith takes them. Because sometimes we we think once we've taken that step of faith, God's just going to open up everything. It's just going to be easy to get to that destination. The reality is, if we really watch, there are going to be barriers in front of us that we've got to go through. And today we're going to talk about one of those barriers. barriers. In Joshua chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Joshua 6, starting with verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, we put it up on the screens here. Uh, If you've got the Journey Church app, you can open it up. You can follow along there and take notes, and you can also take notes on your program this morning. Joshua chapter 6, starting with verse 1, says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Uh, when we talked about Rahab and the spies going to Jericho, we talked a little bit about the city itself. Uh, The city of Jericho was built on a hill. And on the base of this hill, there's one wall. that was about 12 to 15 feet tall, maybe about six feet thick. And so it was on the base of the hill. If you went up to the crest of the hill, you had another wall. It was a lot bigger. They say about 20 to 25 feet tall, six feet thick. And then some archaeologists' finds have even shown a third wall, sort of a retaining wall. So these people were trying to really protect their city. And so as we talked, this was like at the, the, the crossroads of one of the main highways that travelers would take. And so they would stop in Jericho. But as you can imagine, if you're stopping there and you're looking up, you're thinking, this is a big city. This is a scary city. You can't get through this. It's impenetrable. And yet what do we find? They've closed up shop. I mean, they've barred all the doors. They've closed all the windows. The, the, the gates are shut. No one's getting out. And no one's getting in either. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Notice something about this verse. God doesn't say, this is getting ready to happen. This is what is happening. It's not present tense or or future tense. God says in past tense, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Israelites haven't done a thing. And God's already said, that city, it's already yours. Israelites, you have won. Verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Some of you in this room, you're war strategists. I mean, this is something you have been trained to do. To, to know what to do, the steps to take in the midst of a, a battle or a war that's taking place. Now, can you imagine if Joshua came to you and was like, hey, we got this big city in front of us, and we got to get through that, so, um, you know, what kind of strategy can you come up with for us to overtake this city? There's always that one person in the meeting. We'll just call him Bob for today. And Bob's like, Joshua, maybe we should think out of the box a little bit. Here's an idea, Joshua. I got an idea. Here's what we do. How about for six days, we just walk around the city just one time, and then we come back. Then on the seventh day, we do it seven times. There's some more things that we're going to do, but, but I think this is going to work. Joshua, I really think this is a good strategy. You know in that moment, that's the day that you move from the war hall to the mess hall, right? You're toast. And again, think about the Israelite army. I, one of the things I love to do with scripture when we read, especially these old stories, these events that take place, is put myself in the midst of them. And so put yourself in, in the place of these Israelite warriors. They're warriors. They're fighters, right? And so your superior is coming back from the strategy meeting and you're like, hey, what are we going to do? I mean, we're looking forward to this battle. We're, we're ready to fight. We haven't done this in a little while. And your superior comes in and says, here's a strategy. So the first six days, we're just going to walk around the city one time and then you come back. You can grab a snack. You can grab dinner. You can play ball. You can take a nap. Whatever you want to do. That's That's what we're going to do for six straight days. Seventh day, we got some exciting things happening. But for six days, this is, and the guys are going to be like, was that Bob? Because I know that's the strategy Bob would have come up with. I I can't imagine what it would have been like for them in that moment to hear this is a strategy. But here's the deal. This wasn't human strategy. This was God's strategy in place. Look at verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest to blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. If you have kids, if you've ever told them to be quiet, what do they do? They get louder, exactly. They don't know how to be quiet. And I don't think these warriors really know how to do this too. I mean, they're thinking, so hold up a second. We're going we're to do exercise for one, one moment a day. Now, the city of Jericho, again, is not really big. Probably take them about 20 to 30 minutes to circle it. And so they would circle it one time and then they'd come back. But they couldn't say anything. They couldn't chant, they couldn't yell. They were told, you've got to be quiet. Again, very much against the norm. Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. So the Israelites do exactly what, what God has asked them to do. Now, again, I want to throw ourselves back into somebody's position here in the story. I want you to put yourself in the position of the, the Jericho warriors. Think about them for a moment you've got this big huge impenetrable city these huge walls people look up it's like 40 to 50 feet tall as they look about your city uh, you have won all your battles this is why you have this incredible city there people don't come to fight you because they know they're going to lose now I imagine that these warriors for the Jericho army they're around the top of the wall like both of these walls they're standing there six feet wide there's plenty of space and they're just they're just stationed all around these two walls I said the, a couple of weeks ago that the city of Jericho wasn't very big. Maybe three to 5,000 people lived there, so their army probably wasn't very big either. The book of Numbers says there are about 600,000 Israelite warriors. I don't know. Let's just say there's 750 warriors for the Jericho army. We really don't know. And they're stationed on these walls. You see this big, massive swarm of people move towards you, and they're warriors, Right? Uh, this isn't, you know, the chefs and the moms and the, the kiddos and the animals. These are the people with the, the weapons. They're ready to fight. And so you see this group coming at you, and they're coming towards you, and you're thinking, I think we got this. You know, maybe we, can, maybe we can do this. But then they just walk around your walls, and then they leave. You're probably thinking to yourself, that's weird. The next day, same thing. They walk around, and they leave. Like, well, that's even weirder. They do this again and again. I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to guess on day five, those Jericho warriors, they're mocking the Israelite army. Like, hey, when are you guys going to fight? Come on, get some. We're ready. Let's go. And they would just walk around. I'm sure they were talking about them. I'm sure they were laughing about them. I'm positive that they were talking and yelling at and mocking the Israelite God. I mean, what else would you do in that moment? They think... This group of people is, excuse me, is crazy. And so they're mocking and watching this take place for six days. And then on the seventh day, this happens, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who were with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. So we find out that she makes it her family who's in that room. This is the moment that, that they've been waiting for, right? If you're a warrior, this is the moment that you're waiting for. Now, what took place on that seventh time around, uh, there were seven priests in the front, and they had these ram's horns. They're called shofars, and, and they blew them. And these things are incredibly loud. They say they are about 100 to 110 decibels uh, when they blow them. So you've got seven of those. Uh, A rock concert is about 120 decibels. So think about that. These are very loud. So you've got this loud noise that's coming out. And then we find this in verse 20. It says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. And they took the city. The warriors, they marched. The horns were blown, the warriors yelled and chanted, and those walls came tumbling down. Now some of you in here, you're left brain, you're logical, you want facts. And so you're thinking, you're reading it, you're like, did that really happen? I mean, how does that take place? Well, uh, I don't know if you know, but every object has a natural frequency of vibration, no matter how sturdy it is, Okay. Every, every object does. So when frequencies are reached, these vibrations have been known to show and cause destruction. It's because of two things, mechanical resonance and acoustic resonance. The mechanical piece would have been the marching, probably in step, of these, these military people, uh, these warriors around the city. The acoustic piece would have been those horns, would have been the yelling. So you kind of put those two together, and that very well could have brought those walls down. We have examples that this has taken place. A couple of bridges have fallen because of armies going across them, but going in cadence and step with each other across them. And because of the, the mechanical and acoustic resonance there, it... it made these bridges fall. One, I think 200 uh, military people were were killed in that in some other country uh, a few years back. Uh, So it's incredible if you really think about that. That's powerful. So for your left brain people, maybe that helps you out a little bit. But then there's another part to this. Maybe that was God's miracle that was in place. That God was there and God made this happen. But here's the deal. No matter what, God did make this happen. God was there and here's what God was doing. God was leading the Israelites into this barrier, into this wall, into this really sort of the stopping point for them as he was taking them to their destination and to the middle of the promised land. As we look at this chapter, as we look at the walls of Jericho coming down, uh, what can we gather from this for our own lives today? And it's so amazing to me that we can look at scripture and we we can always say, hey, you know, this is how this applies to me. And so I think there's a question that we all have to ask first. And the question is pretty simple, is what is your Jericho? What is your Jericho? Again, if we go back to the beginning of the story, we have the Israelites on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. They're looking over this river into the promised land. And they've got to get there, right? And so God says, this is your first step of faith. And they got their feet wet, and they were able to cross over the Jordan River. But that didn't mean they were there yet. I mean, they were actually in the promised land at that moment, but they hadn't actually taken over the promised land. Their destination was still ahead of them. Their destination was coming up before them, but what did they find? There's a city in front of them. There are walls in front of them. You know what? They've got to go through that. The question is, what is your Jericho? In your life, what is your Jericho? What is that thing that you are right here right now and God's saying, that's the place I want you to be? And you've taken that first step of faith. You got your feet wet and you walked across that dry land and you're thinking, I'm here, but you look in front of you and you're like, Whoa, there's a wall in front of me. There, there's this barrier that I've got to go through. What is your Jericho? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship you have with a family member, a friend. Maybe it's your dating relationship. You know where God wants you to be, and you you see that in front of you. But at the same time, there's this barrier there. That relationship is keeping you from getting there. That doesn't mean you let that relationship go. It just means that that may be your Jericho. That there may need to be some healing that takes place there. Is that relationship your Jericho? It could be your marriage. You know, you may be at a place you're thinking, "Hey, I'm done." I'm tired of this. I don't want to keep doing this. This has been going on for a long time. Well, that could be your Jericho. And I'm not saying that God's telling you that your your destination is a new relationship. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying your marriage is still that destination that God has for you. But your marriage may also be that Jericho. But you've got to keep circling. Maybe it's an addiction. You get out of your bed every single morning and it's sitting right there in front of you. It is right there, and you see it, but the claws are so deep inside your soul. You're doing everything you can to get beyond it, but that is your Jericho. You know God has something better for you, but that is your Jericho. It is right there every single day. It could be a diagnosis that you have. It's something that's happening inside your body, and you do what the doctors tell you, and you take care of yourself, and you go to all your appointments. You're taking all the medicine, and yet it's still there, and you're thinking, I don't know if I can keep going on. I don't know what to do with this. I know I want to be better. I know I want to get to a place where I feel, feel okay with myself as I go through this. But that could be your Jericho. Maybe it's mentally. Maybe you deal with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And, and you're working on that and it's, yet it's so hard. And, and you know, that may be your Jericho. Here in our church, we have uh, had quite a few couples who it's been a baby like that Jericho has been a baby they've tried and tried and tried and nothing's happened I'm not talking about months I'm talking about years and you know what that has been their Jericho and maybe that's where you are right now maybe that is your Jericho maybe that's where you are and that's your barrier that's your wall Uh, we could keep listing things here over and over and over again of what those Jerichos are but here's what I know you know your Jericho I know my Jerichos. We should know what they are. But what is our Jericho? Because for us to move forward to where God wants us to be, where God created us to go, sometimes we got to go through those Jerichos, which means we got to know what they are. But then that leads us to an action. We got to keep marching. Got to keep marching. How many times do the Israelites circle Jericho? All right. <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and tell you. <laughs> two hundred and sixty-five times. Yeah. Common core math, right? <laughs> you know, you have six plus seven equals two hundred and sixty-five. And can I just do a sidebar real quick? I used to be really good at math when I was in high school, like in the top math courses, and my kids are like, Dad, you can help us with math. I'm like, sure, I can help you with math. And we sit down, I'd do it, and I'm like, there's the answer. They're like, nope, that's not right. I'm like, but that's the answer. They're like, no, that's not. So, teachers, when you teach Common Core, God bless you. I'm sure it's hard, and I know you get people like me that are writing you horrible emails, so I I hope there's extra stuff for you in heaven because of that. But (laughs) the actual correct answer is 6 plus 7 equals 13. 13 times they circle circle these walls. Think about that, 13 times. Uh, They could have stopped any time, right? They could have said, hey, we're done. Like after day five, I'm tired of getting spit on and maybe things thrown at me as we're walking around the walls of the uh, uh, city. I'm tired of what they're saying about me and saying about us. They could have said, God, we're out. We're, we're moving on. Here's the deal. I think God would have said, okay, go ahead. Well, I'm not gonna give you this land. In fact, I'm gonna move on too. But what did they do? They kept marching. Every day they kept marching. When you think about the Jericho that you have in your life, are you still marching around it? Because here's what I think we do: we go around it once, and we're like, "Oh man, I got this," and do it do it again. It's like, "Okay, I think I got this," and the third time it's like, "I'm not sure about this," and the fourth time we're like, "I think I'm going to give up on this." It doesn't take very long for you and I to lose patience, right? We get to this place where we, we stop having patience. We, we, we look at this Jericho. We know we need to keep marching around it, but we've stopped doing that. So how many times have you marched around your Jericho? How many times have you marched around that broken relationship? How many times have you marched around your marriage? How many, how many times have you marched around your, your finances, that addiction, your health struggles, those inner voices, the disappointment? Some of us have stopped marching. We've said, hey, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So we give up and we give it. Now, I don't think God gives up on us when we do that. But I think we give up on God. We lack patience. We're looking for a quick fix. We're looking for quick answers. Here's what we don't understand. And I think this definitely goes back to what we talked about last week. Sometimes God is working upstream, And we don't know that. And we don't even know what God's doing. But God is working upstream. And what God has asked us to do is to take that step of faith and then to keep on marching. How many of us have stopped marching around our Jerichos? The Israelites didn't stop marching. And I don't think you and I need to stop marching too. Know what your Jericho is and keep marching. And then here's, I think, a must in this. Don't march alone. Don't march alone. Um, the problem is we like to march alone. Well, let, me, let me rephrase that. We choose to march alone. I don't want you to see the real me. I, I don't want you to see my scabs and my scars and my stitches. I, I don't want you to see my hurt and my pain and my burden. I don't want you to see that about me because that, that's the real me. And what will you think if you see the real me? I, I love social media. Love it. I, it's where I get so much of my information about sports and about leadership and about the church world, about government, politics, anything you imagine. I love that piece to it. And, and then the other part to that, I love, to, to, uh, I love social media because I get to see you know, what you guys had for dinner last night. So it's kind of cool to know what you ate yesterday, where you went. It's a great tool. But here's the other part to it. We go to social media, and we see family members, or we see friends, and we see kind of acquaintances, and it's like, holy cow, their life's amazing. Every picture, they're always smiling. And there's always a picture about this great trip they just took and the award they just got and this new job that they have and how their kids are the smartest people on the planet and they're getting tested for that and, and just all of this stuff, right? And we see this and we're like, that's not me. I got an okay job, right? And I don't really like to smile when I take pictures and, you know, our big trip is, is to D.C. We don't really get to do these really cool things and... But the reality is, we see that and we think that's what life is supposed to be. That's not reality, people. We see that and we think it is. And so we get stuck and we're like, I really don't want people to know who I really am. And so we're afraid to do that. We're afraid to share. We're afraid to open up. You can march alone around your Jericho. Can I make a promise to you? Those walls are never coming down. But you march together around your Jericho. At some point in time, I truly believe this, God will knock those walls down. Let me tell you something about this church. I know our leadership and our staff would wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree with this. The Journey Church is a place where it's okay to not be okay. If you're looking for a church where they're full of righteous people who got it all together, this is not the church for you, okay? Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. We are a group of imperfect people. All of our leadership, we are imperfect. People that are life group leaders, they're imperfect. And I know this because I'm one of the, those imperfect people. I know me. I know who I am. I know my Jerichos. I'm not a perfect person. Our leaders are not. And so this should be one of the safest places for us to come with the Jerichos in our life to know there are others that are on the same journey with us. And not only that, they're going to be there when those Jerichos happen in your life so they can circle Jericho and march around it with you. Because I would expect the same when I have those moments too in my life. You can't do this alone. We have to march together. I love what Jesus says in Mark 2, 17. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I believe the church came out of that. The church is the reason, or the reason the church exists is for the sick. And you're sick and I'm sick. Jesus isn't. And we're full of imperfect people, but we do this together. Hey, that's why we invite you into life groups. Because that's a bunch of imperfect people. If you're in a life group, you know that. You've experienced that. The group of people there, they're not perfect. And that's the beauty of it. Because we get to walk around our Jerichos together. And that's why we invite you to be in life groups, to jump into those groups and to be around other people that are just like you and me and and to let them walk with you around your Jerichos because here's the, the better part of it. You're gonna walk around their Jerichos with them until those walls come down. Get in a life group other thing I would say, maybe you're at the beginning point of your faith walk and you're just trying to figure out this spiritual thing and this Jesus thing. And maybe maybe you've said, hey, I want to follow Christ, but you haven't taken that next step of, of baptism. Here's why this is so important. That's saying in that moment when we're baptized that we're all in and that we're at this place in our life that we're going to allow God to lead us. The only reason they were able to go through Jericho's walls was because of God. Because God led them to that victory. And I believe the only way that we can truly knock our walls down is to let God lead us, and we do that through Christ. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, hey, I need to take that step. Here's what I invite you to do. In front of you are those connection cards. You can fill that out. If you are not in a life group, you can mark that. We'll connect you tomorrow. We'll we'll tell you about the groups. I think we have about 17 groups that meet. If you're interested in baptism, you can mark that. I'd love to have that conversation with you because I believe when our Jerichos are there and we're trying to go through them and we're trying to get to the place God has created us to go to, to that destination, we have to do it with God leading us and we have to do it together with others. Here's something else that we're doing as a church. Over the next six weeks, uh, when you walk out this morning uh, up against the wall, there are a bunch of these journey devotionals this is our first time doing this so i mean we didn't we didn't spend a lot of money but they're good it's not what they look like it's the content but we have uh, sounds like government stuff anyway um so we have a date down and then every single day we have a scripture to read and then we ask you just write down your observations and application for the day and maybe your prayer we're going to do this together as a church i think there's about 200 of those out there We'd love to see all of them gone. You can actually do this, too, through our Facebook page. You can follow along there. We, we've asked the question, what would it look like for us to do this together, on, on this journey together, spiritual growth together as a church? This is one of the ways we can do that. So we invite you to be a part of that. I think it's a six weeks. It actually connects with our series that we are in, which is even uh, better than anything, I think. But, um, but we invite you to do that. The easy part is it sticks in your Bible. It's good to go and carry it around with you. But th- this is what it means for us to allow God to lead us forward. So that we can circle those Jerichos so those walls will come down. I love this moment because I am reminded at communion, of God's love for me, that even though that some of those Jerichos that are in place, I've put there. And God's love for me during this time of communion says, "Hey, this is my son." I'm giving him as a gift to you. This is how much I love you. This is how much I want to help you through those Jerichos in life, that, that I want you to just take a moment. We do this every Sunday here. Take a moment to just be reminded of that love. Our band's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to sing together, and as we do that this morning, I'm going to invite you to the front or to the back. And I want you to grab a piece of bread and the juice. Just take it back to your seat. You can remain standing there and sing together. And then we're going to do this together as we do every week. We're going to take this communion together because that's what church is all about. You and me together on this journey. A journey with God leading us through Christ. With that Holy Spirit motivating us forward so that we can knock those Jerichos down to get to the promised land.